Whew, wow. Man, okay. someone better be getting a corner office. Two and a half percent. Two and a half percent. <laughs> Two and a half percent of all software I endorse. <laughs> Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Canyon AT4X. Merrick Friedman, Delich, this is your favorite hockey troika. Um, this is like your hockey overtime. It's the three of us, guys. It's the three of us. Uh, lots to get to today with the Dallas Stars out of the playoff picture now. Congratulations, Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, we'll get to you a little bit later on. We'll get to some news about Tom Dundon, owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, saying, bring everybody back. And we'll get to the coaching situation as it unfolded on Tuesday. But let's start and maybe, Elliot, try to make sense of what we're seeing, hearing, feeling, believing, sifting through all the information about Kyle Dubas and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Go. If you are mining the internet for Kyle Dubas news, <laughs> like someone searching for gold in the 1850s, you saw a lot of conflicting information. Mm. And as of Tuesday night, when we are taping this podcast between 8 and 9 p.m. Eastern time, I think the honest answer is there was no final decision. Or if there is a final decision, it was made recently and we just haven't heard it yet. Now, there were some people that still believed that Dubas was leaning towards taking the job. There are other people who'd heard rumors that Dubas had turned down the job. I don't think, as we sit here right now, either is accurate. I think that he was still going through the process and some of it could be negotiation. I don't want to say yes or no on both sides, but I think there was no final decision. And what I do believe though, is that the penguins have indicated they need to know. Now, when's the actual deadline? I'm not a hundred percent positive, but I think there is an understanding here from everyone involved that the Penguins need to know where this is going. So we're coming to the end of the runway and Dubas and the Penguins have to make a decision. I really believe that the decision had not been made by end of business on Tuesday. And whether it happened later than on Tuesday night, we'll find out. We don't know when this deadline is for Pittsburgh. It's not far. Like This is not a deadline of... Hey, end of the semester, which is six weeks from now, you better have your thesis done. Like this is, this is, we need this soon. So I think everybody knows here that there's not a long time to wait. I have a theory, young Merrick. I have a theory. I like theories. My theory is that it's possible that there are some players here that we haven't considered, that maybe some other teams have at the very least, taking a look at what his long-term plans might be. So perhaps then, again, this is all theoretical here. Hold us to nothing. All you're about to hear is just some empty calorie talk from a couple of your favorite hockey podcasters. Would you then be implying that perhaps, I'm going to put as many qualifying words here as possible in, other teams that already have general managers might just have a little bit of I don't know, might be a little Dubas curious. I don't even know if it's that, to be perfectly honest, Jeff. If you look around the league, there are some situations where general managers either don't have term 
or they may be looking at changing the structure of their front office. Hmm. Now, one of the things that we talk about with Toronto, and I know we're going to talk about Toronto in a sec, but if you've heard me talk about the Maple Leafs in the last few days, there's something here I'm not seeing. Like, I think there have been more calls and more investigating they've been doing into people. I don't see everything. And I think with the Dubas situation, it is similar. He only got on the market two weeks ago, and it was a surprise, I think, to everyone involved and everyone on the outside. And I think there have been teams that are kind of looking at their own structures or their own long-term situations and saying, hey, you know, wait a second here. We better have a conversation. Like, I don't think this is necessarily about firing somebody to make room for Kyle Dubas. But what I think this could be about is, does he make sense for us as a long-term kind of play? And it was hinted to me on Hmm. Tuesday that that may be going on. That adds a whole new wrinkle to all of this. So if we can do the uh, old uh, X-Files Mulder Scully. I'm not doing it. Hold on a second here. What you're telling me then, this is, again, all theoretical. I'm not going to name any teams or people. I thought you were going to ask me for specific teams. No, I'm not going to ask you for specific teams. I've already burned down one market this week. No, I've hit my weekly burn down market limit. (laughs) (laughs) No, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to try to uh, imagine myself listening to this podcast and saying, man, I wish I had a, a, a Mulder Scully moment where they just broke things down so a dumb guy like me could understand. <laughs> so perhaps what you're <laughs> suggesting is there are teams out there that are saying, look, we are happy with what we have, but we'd also like to have someone like Kyle Dubas uh, within the organization for our long-term future. Is there a way we can restructure what we do to make room for him so it works now and in the future for this organization? Is that essentially what we're talking about? I think that is possible or, you know what, maybe you've got, you know, somebody there and I'm not talking about anyone in particular. I'm not because I just don't know. Maybe you've got somebody there who doesn't have a lot of term left and it's something like that. You know, we've speculated a lot about Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't know the answer to that, but someone said to me, there might be other situations out there where you could see Dubis being a fit to add to a front office, not necessarily to remove anyone, but add. Just wait. It will find a way. One way or the other, we're going to get our answer on Pittsburgh, I think, soon. I understand why there were so many conflicting reports on Tuesday. It was a wild day. Like If I was to tweet out everything that I heard on Tuesday... It would have been like a 98 car pileup on the 401. (laughs) It didn't make (laughs) any sense. And now I think I understand why. I understand that. And um, okay, let's park it. No pileup. Let's just see where we head for another day. Now, Dubas' old team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, is there any update there? Are we closer to more interviews? Are we closer to an announcement? Where's Brendan Shanahan at with his search? So there were reports on Tuesday night that the search was coming to an end and Brad Tree Living was going to be the general manager. I don't think that's wrong. I think that is the plan. I just think it might be a little bit early. And the only reason that my paranoia is creeping up on this one 
is that we thought Kyle Dubas was going to be the GM and that fell apart. And I don't think these situations are comparable, but I do think that the Maple Leafs have indicated that they want to hire Brad Tree Living and they've told Brad Tree Living that they want to hire him, but they have to get a contract done. And until that's done, if there's anything we've learned in the past couple of weeks in Toronto, you just have to wait until that is closed. So again, Jeff, I think the plan is for it to happen, for it to be tree living, but they have to get the contract done. And until that's done, let's not make any proclamations. So we stay tuned to find out what happens with Toronto as well. And, you know, if that inches, uh, if that inches forward uh, this week, I think that'll be uh, of great delight to Maple Leafs fans and probably of great delight for Sheldon Keefe, who will finally find out what's going to happen to him. He lost one of his staff today. We'll get to Carberry in a second. Yeah, I'm not convinced it's a guarantee he's not coming back. I think there's a shot here. And again, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but I think it's not insignificant. I think there's a decent chance the new GM keeps him. Like, I think everybody who's been interviewed has asked, how do you feel about Keefe? And from what I've heard, a number of them have said, you know what? He's fine to, is there really a better replacement Mm -hmm. to his records? Pretty good to honestly, I'd like to get to know him before I make any decisions. So I don't think it's impossible at all that he stays next year. Uh, speaking of coaches, uh, mentioned how Sheldon Keefe and the Toronto Maple Leafs lost someone on Tuesday. That is Spencer Carberry. To no one's surprise, he ends up behind the bench in Washington, but he had gone, I don't know if I want to say down the road, maybe now I'm the enemy of English or how I want to describe it, but there was significant interest from other teams, most notably Nashville. We'll get to Andrew Brett in a second, but how did this Carberry deal come together? And by the way, it's a four-year deal. Yes. Which to me seems pretty unique for a first-time head coaching hire, no? He had interest. What do you need to get the best possible deal is leverage. leverage. He had some leverage. There was lots of interest. He was like Shakira. Oh, geez. And all of the NHL teams were like Tom Cruise chasing after. I think that's a <laughs> hip enough reference. I wanted some more new hip references. So you went to Shakira. Spencer Shakira Carberry uh, and oh, NHL nice. teams Tom Cruise. So he met with four teams last week, as yep. far as we know, uh, Rangers, Washington, Anaheim, and uh, Predators. And when you're in that situation, you have a bit more say into where this is all going to go. And that fourth year, I think, is because, look, Washington really wanted him. They talked to some other people. They talked to Jeff Halper, and they talked to Brad Shaw. I'm assuming they talked to Todd Nelson. If there's anyone else there we don't know about. I think Carberry was their number one guy. But when he has the options and he has some leverage, he could get that fourth year. And uh, he got it. But... I'll say this. I think there were some teams who were very impressed with Carberry. I think that the Capitals were the ones who were the most aggressive and wanted to get it done when it was time. Let me just try to put this bluntly. And this is how it feels to me. A, to your point, Carberry had leverage. B, as you've pointed out before, there was a feeling that Washington just wanted to end this. And it feels like the fourth year was the, this is what we're going to use to just end this cheese in the trap. Agree. 
And that's how he got his four years. National Predators, uh, John Hines and Dan Lambert are out. Uh, although not official at the time of this recording, Andrew Burnett will uh, come in and become the new uh, head coach of the Nashville Predators. Your thoughts on this one? And that'll be officially announced on Wednesday and unveiled on Wednesday as well. So there's some controversy here. I had some coaches who reached out to me over the past few days when when we were reporting this, and they were saying, you have to go harder at the Predators for the way this has been handled. Like someone has to take more of a run at the Predators. Hmm. And I just said, I understand. And I did say a couple of times I did not like the way it was being handled. But the one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to speak to Barry Trotz first before I really, you know, went hard one way. I think you owe it to someone to reach out for an explanation. And I think that Trotz is going to talk. Well, Trotz is going to talk when they unveil Burnett, which is going to be Wednesday. And I would assume he's going to address all this because there are coaches who are really unhappy. And at the base level, I don't like it. And they thought it was too long. Now, I did get a call today from somebody who kind of defended Trotz a little bit. They felt that Trotz had let Hines know the whole time what he was up to. He felt that Hines was aware Heinz was also uh, has one more year on his contract. So it's not like he has no safety net. I believe also Nashville immediately granted teams permission to talk to Heinz. I, I, I don't know who, but I heard there were multiple teams that reach out to talk to him on Tuesday and the Predators granted all permission. And so anything else, I'm assuming Trotz is going to lay it out. Like at its base, I don't like this. And I don't think a lot of people like this. I am curious to hear what Trot says because I think he's well aware of how people feel and I believe he's going to explain his rationale. Now, the only people that I know that Nashville spoke to were Brunette and Carberry. I think it's one more. I think their American Hockey League coach, Carl Taylor at Milwaukee, Mm -hmm. and they're in the Western Conference final of the American Hockey League right now. I believe he was a finalist for the job as well. And I heard the Predators did interview a couple other people, but the three finalists, from what I understand, were Burnett, Carberry, and Taylor. And there's a long history between Trotz and Burnett. He's known him since he was drafted. Um, He coached him in Nashville. He scored the first ever Predators goal. I don't think anybody is surprised. And like Carberry, Burnett had a bit of Shakira to him too. Anaheim, Columbus, He was on Calgary's list, not surprisingly, and this one at least. So there were at least four for Burnett. And look, I think Washington said, Carberry's our guy. We got to take him off the board or we're going to lose him. And I think Nashville did the same thing. Now, just to point out the obvious, because that is kind of what I do. One of the main reasons why a lot of coaches were upset about how this has unfolded is they feel that Barry Trotz is not that far removed from being one of them. And I think that didn't sit right with a lot of uh, a lot of people in the coaching fraternity. I agree with that. I am curious to hear if Trotz compares what happened here to any of his own previous situations. Mm. That's what I am curious to hear. 
All right, so we'll stay tuned for that on Wednesday. By the way, uh, I always thought that you would reserve your Shakira references with uh, the hips don't lie about Russian netminders and post play, where <laughs> everybody's just like stunned at how like their hips maneuver around in, in and around goalposts. I thought you're going to reserve that for Bobrovsky talk or Sorokin or Shishterkin talk, but nope. Nonetheless, you uh, you've already gone there, so you've used that. Uh, you've used that one already. You're going to have to figure out a, uh, another metaphor, I suppose. Sticking with coaching, um, the Calgary Flames. What do you hear that's happening with them? Uh, how close? Uh, how quickly do they want to move on this? It sounds to me like Mark Savard of the Windsor Spitfires has already interviewed there. Mm, you've been on top of that one. Yeah, I would imagine that there's there's probably been a few as well. What's what's the latest from Calgary? I think they just started. You know, Brunette's off the board. Yep. Uh, he was a guy there. It's going to be interesting. I think they want to give a long look to their internal people. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I still wonder about Tangay, the internal guys. I think we need to get through the week and see kind of where we are here before we we really know and, and see what they call the list to. I hear it's a big list. And same with Anaheim. Like Verbeek, he's still doing interviews next week at the Combine, I believe. So they're the two farthest teams away. The two teams I'm, I'm most curious about right now are the Rangers and Columbus. You know, Laviolette, I believe, was in New York on Tuesday. And... Like I said, if it was going to be him, I thought we were going to find out pretty quick. I am very curious to see if now they decide to interview Hines. Drury and Hines have a history in college together. Yep. So that's one of the teams. And Columbus, I am hearing so many conflicting things on Columbus. I don't know what to tell you. Elliot, there's so many names around, around Columbus. I had someone say to me the Patrick Waugh thing was more of a conversation than an interview. But as we sit here Tuesday night, I don't have a great handle on it. I know I'm supposed to be this great inside person. I don't have a great handle on it at all. And I guess the one question, and maybe we'll get some answers on this on Wednesday, is does Andrew Burnett bring Derek McKenzie along with him? John Hines was dismissed, as was Dan Lambert. Uh, that opens a spot on the bench. I know a lot of people, I know I am, wondering if the uh, the Sudbury Wolves head coach, Derek McKenzie, goes along with Andrew Burnett. I would have to imagine that Burnett has extended the offer to come with them to Nashville. We'll, we'll see where that one goes. You know, one other thing I just did want to mention front office-wise around the NHL, the Kraken have called a media conference for Wednesday. And I don't know exactly what it is, but one thing I do know is that they were talking about extensions for some of their front office people and their head coach. So I don't know if this is going to be everybody or some of them or a few of them, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the potential topics that they're going to be discussing here. Hey guys, this is Jack out in Las Vegas. And I know folks are really disappointed that our baby team is finally getting back to the Stanley Cup final, thinking we don't deserve it. But for those of you in the center of the hockey universe, who don't know, we had an IHL team, the Las Vegas Thunder, that we absolutely supported. We had an ECHL team, the Las Vegas Wranglers, that we absolutely supported, and both of those got taken away from us. And so while our suffering might not be the same as your suffering, and while everything in Vegas up until 2017 was for tourists, this team is for us, and so really, we don't mind that you don't like us. And so just know we're going to fight for it. Good job, 
Jeff. Good job, Elliot. Good job, Owl. We support all you guys, even if you don't support us. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Swim in Mexico, Mademoiselle Point a laugh while he fell Who's laughing now, now that I'm explosive Like Alfred Nobel Young, lean only, attracts an older clientele Very well Elliot, before I mention uh, Tom Dundon here And we get into the conversation from the Carolina Hurricanes owner About bringing everybody back uh, do you have a quick thought and maybe you have more than a quick thought? I don't know. I'm throwing it out there. Uh, do you have a thought quick or otherwise about the Ottawa Senator's sale? Well, I, a lot of people had thoughts for me. <laughs> I, I will tell you that. Uh, yeah. So I got a call from a friend of mine who lives there. He says, this is what you have to recognize. I said, okay, what's that? He goes, if you are right that the process is off the rails, and he goes, I'm not even conceding that to you, that if you're right. I said, okay. He said, only people from Ottawa and members of Senators Nation are allowed to comment on that, not <laughs> weasels from Toronto. We don't want to hear Torontonians' opinions on the sale of the Ottawa Senators. And then he hung up the phone. And then he actually called me back laughing. But... Honestly, what is remarkable about that is Ottawa is the only um, city in Canada that doesn't want to hear the opinions of Torontonians. It's really remarkable. It's only confined to Ottawa, not true of Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Pick your junior hockey markets in the Western League, in the Quebec League, in the Maritimes, anywhere. No, everybody wants to hear from Torontonians except for people from Ottawa. <laughs> By the way, that is consistent with uh, the Ryan Reynolds marketing plan for the Ottawa Senators. Remember that yes, one? Ottawa versus the world. That's Ottawa right. Ottawa versus the world. This is ours. I'm not setting the market ablaze now. I did it two days ago. Enough. Don't call the fire department <laughs> in Ottawa yet. Tom Dundon, owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, run it back again. Yeah, we should credit Luke DeCock with the article. Absolutely. Great piece. And Tom Dundon mentioning that uh, one of the ASAP top priorities for the Carolina Hurricanes is an eight-year deal for Sebastian Ajo. Mm -hmm. Agents love it when the owner says we need to get him under a long-term deal ASAP. But nonetheless, I, I think we know where that one is, is headed anyhow. Uh, said he was open to both Antiranta and Frederick Anderson coming back despite uh, Kachetkov's presence and contract, citing, of course, of all, amongst other things, waivers. He essentially said, you know, uh, really happy with everyone on the team. Uh, we're really close in that series against the Florida Panthers. Uh, we're happy to bring everybody back. We know the reality is, obviously, Elliot, you can't bring everybody back. Players will seek fortunes elsewhere. But your thoughts on what we heard out of Tom Dundon on Tuesday? I'm not surprised that they named Ajo their first priority. And I have no doubt they'll make an honest effort to get that done. You know, Don Waddell and Rod Brindamore speaking on Wednesday. I don't think anybody would be shocked if, you know, a Jordan Stahl deal is coming around then or sometime very soon. You know, it was interesting talking about Kachekov saying they could still potentially bring back both Anderson and Ranta, but I don't think anything there was hugely surprising. Look, they had a huge season. They got to the conference final. I know it ended with a bit of a thud there, but to get where they got, considering the injuries that they had, I don't think there's a lot you really have to change. 
I don't think the makeup of that team changes a great deal until the day Brendan Moore decides he want doesn't want to coach anymore. Mm. That to me, I think, is the biggest change that they could have because I think a lot of the mentality of the players comes through him, and it'll be a big change to the culture. But listen to Stall; that's getting done. You listen to Aho. I mean, sure, there's going to be some grinding, but it sounds like that's going to get done. They kind of talked a little bit about Pesci and Shea. Yep. You know, we'll see where they go with those two players. Both have one more year, we should mention. Both have one more year on tour. As does Aho. But when I hear Dundon says he wants to bring it back, I, I take it totally at face value, and I'm not surprised. That's the I think that's the wise decision for them. What a run it has been for the Golden Knights. Number one in the Western Conference during the regular season. Dispatched the Winnipeg Jets in five. Knocked out the Edmonton Oilers in six. And now, in the Western Conference Final, they will take the Dallas Stars down in six games after leading the series three games to none. Carrier, Carlson, Colasar, Marcheseau, Carlson, Amadio. This one is over. 6-0. A shutout victory in Game 6 for the Vegas Golden Knights. For the second time in six seasons, the Golden Knights will play for the Stanley Cup. Western Conference champions in 2023, the Golden Knights will play the Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup Final, starting June 3rd at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Okay, uh, one team who will not be bringing back the same squad, we suspect, uh, although it will look remarkably similar, are the Dallas Stars. Mm -hmm. And first of all, congratulations to the Vegas Golden Knights uh, who defeat the Dallas Stars in six games of the Stanley Cup final is the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers. But if you listen to And we'll talk more about that on Friday's pod. Yeah, we're going to be there for for Media Day. We'll we'll do that for Friday's pod. And Mm -hmm. congrats to the Golden Knights and congrats to the the Panthers. And uh, two great U.S. players going head-to-head, Eichel versus Kachuk. It's Marcia So and Smith versus the team that left them open for the expansion draft. There's all sorts of juicy little sidelines to all of this one. But for the purposes of this pod, Elliot, let's let's have a little drill down here on the future for the Dallas Stars. And I would have to assume that front and center is a conversation about some of the more veteran players in this lineup. I'm thinking of Ben. Um, I'm thinking of Suter. I'm not thinking of Pavelski. I think they're over the moon thrilled with Joe Pavelski, yeah, but he's some of the veteran guys, I think there's some question marks around them. The one thing I think for the Dallas Stars is they need to take a deep breath. And I think that any team run by Jim Nill is going to do that. As disappointed as they are with the way their season ended, and don't get me wrong, it was disappointing, they still did get to the Stanley Cup semifinals and made it six games deep. You know, that's not an insignificant thing. And there's still a team I think is going in the right direction. I think they have a lot of good young players. And, you know, I heard people saying, get rid of Ben, trade Jamie Ben. Look, Jamie Ben, he had a terrible end of the season, but he had a really good year. He was a big part of their team. He helped their young players make adjustments to the NHL, particularly Johnson and Delandria. You don't throw your baby out with the bathwater after just one week like this. And knowing Nil, I think he'll tell everybody to take a deep breath, calm down, and let's see where this really is. Because if you move Jamie Benn, and by the way, he's only got 
two more years left under contract. You know, Jeff, you've got to fill a spot. Like one of their strengths is down the middle. Mm-hmm. They've got hints. They've got Johnson. They've got Faxa. You know, they've got Glenn Danning if they want to bring him back. You know, they've got guys, but that's a big, big hole you're taking out of your roster. Those kind of guys, you don't replace them very easily. So I am sitting down and I am thinking about this long and hard before I'm making an emotional reaction based on the last week. Good teams do not do that. And I think the Dallas Stars are a good team and a well-run organization. So that's the first thing. The guy I do wonder about is Suter. Mm-hmm. There was a play in game five where Vegas scored because he chased a player out of the slot and everybody was looking at him going, what is that? You know, Kelly Rudy really defended that play from Suter because he said Suter had been beaten backdoor a couple times in previous games. So he thought that's what he was thinking, even though it looked very weird. If you take a look at his contract, to buy it out, it's not expensive. It's four more years, and it's just under 800000 for the first two years and about $1.5 for the last two years. I wonder if they think about it. But again, Ryan Suter is a guy who played a lot of minutes for them. He's Haskinen's partner. What are you doing there? Like, how are you replacing those minutes? And those are the questions I always ask. This is still a top four team, and it's hard to make the playoffs in this league. I get it. Jeff, if you are dumping these guys, how are you replacing their minutes? And again, I'm not going to say this is a a direct swap out, but it very much feels and sounds like they're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that Thomas Harley succeeds on that blue line next season. He looks pretty good. He does. I'm just saying you you have to be sure. Mm-hmm. Or as sure as you can be, really. My question is, do you think he's ready to play? If the decision is to re- him to replace Suter, do you think he's ready to play with Haskin in full time? I didn't say that this is going to be a, a, a direct swap out. I heard all you. I'm, all, all I'm, I, I never, never said, Amel, we're going to go to you as a judge on this one. I never said direct swap out. All I'm saying is they want Thomas Harley to take his next step. I know what you're saying. I still think they'll need to do something with the blue line. I think you're right. This is still an elite level team that doesn't need anything more than perhaps tinkering. And to me, the big question, and I want to get to some of the players and, you know, pending UFAs and whether they're coming back or not. To me, the big question here is what's the magic number of games for Jake Ottinger. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. To me, that is one of the big questions here. And do they have a backup who can take the load off Jake Ottinger? Like if you have Jake Ottinger playing, so he played 62 games in the regular season, Jake Ottinger did. If you get that down to, I don't know, 52, Elliot. 55 to 57. I think that's the sweet spot. Then do you think that Scott Wedgwood is the guy that can shoulder the rest of that load? To me, that's one of your huge questions next year for the Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. 
your big question might be your backup netminder, which is really interesting too, because they were one of the first ones in this era of hockey to have the platoon system with their goalies, mm -hmm. right? With uh, Antin Yemi and, and Kari Lettinen. And they both pulled off like 25 win seasons that year that they platooned for the first time. That was spectacular. Anyhow, I, I think that's the big one here. Agree, disagree. I agree. I, I think that's a big part. You know, look, they draft well, they develop well. They've got good young players. They've got good veterans. I'm just taking a deep breath before I do anything rash. A couple more things here on Dallas. You know how I like to go on and on about Ivan Barbashev and the Vegas Golden Knights. And there's more of that coming up in the final, folks. But I'm <laughs> going to park that for a second here. Because very quietly, as everybody was, you know, all over, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, and these types of players at trade deadline, like anyone that had some snarl and some bite to their game, you know, teams were bending over backwards and throwing first round picks uh, away to, to try to get them really quietly. You know, you mentioned Jim Nill a couple of seconds ago, really quietly, Jim Nill did a real nice bit of business bringing in Max Domi, a really, really nice bit of business. And yeah, he's, he's played really well. I, uh, I, I wonder if there's room at the inn for Max Domi in Dallas still, uh, I would imagine there would be room at the inn in Chicago where he was loved and the guys loved him. I think there'd be a couple of places that you know, that, that could be a nice home for Max Domi. But do you see a, a future or a, a way that Max Domi returns to Dallas? I just think it's going to be where does he find the best contract? Like I thought he played really well there. I heard the issue in Chicago was term. They they didn't want to do the term. Yep. I thought he played really well there. I, I thought he was really good for them, and I see it as a fit. But again, term and dollars, you know, got a match. Like the one thing about the stars is they do have a little bit of flexibility. Like they can do something, especially if they do a major subtraction or something like that. They will have some flexibility to do something. Not ridiculous, but just enough. And maybe they decide that Domi is the answer. Maybe that this was a test drive. I, I really liked him there. I thought he was good for them. Uh, I thought he was good too. After Domi, Jeff, I got nothing else on Dallas. So I think this is a quick one today. Hang on. And then did, we come did back. We, uh, did we just uh, respect our listeners' time for the first time in weeks? <laughs> did we just actually respect people? I think we respected Amal's time. <laughs> okay. Respected Amal's time and our listeners' time and didn't you know drone on for an hour and a half. So our gift to you is less of us. How about that for today? That's our gift to you. <laughs> and then we'll do our, our Stanley Cup preview from, uh, from Vegas. From Vegas. Looking forward to that. Taking us out is a duo of producers from the UK who have teamed up for a project that explores romance between heritage, rebellion, and years-old friendship. Dan Carey and Benjamin Romans Hopcraft make up Miss Tiny and they haven't put out much. But what they have put out is really good. With their latest single, Beggar, here's Miss Tiny on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. I like it when you speak in red. 